All right, good morning, Renew Church. How are you this morning? Good, all right. Hey, if we could, let's get into groups like we normally do. And here's the question that I want you to answer, okay? I know it's not a lighthearted question. It's a very serious question, but it's something that really will kind of get our juices flowing. So what is the one thing that you are most anxious about, okay? The one thing, maybe the season, maybe what you're going on right now, but what is that one thing that you're anxious about, that one worry that you have? Can we share with one another? Let's do that right now. All right, if we can go ahead and wrap it up. I hope you were able to share uh, those things uh, that are most pressing on your minds and on your hearts. Uh, Take your Bibles, if you would. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Would you do that? Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at actually two verses today. Verses 6 and 7, okay? Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 6 and 7. Uh, we're doing an Advent series, if you guys didn't know, Pastor Wilson kind of shared that with you, and uh, we're going to be talking about the idea of simplifying our lives, you know, and we talked about actually last week the hustle and bustle of, uh, of uh, Christmas season and just the sense of all the distractions that are out there, and our desire as a church is for you to simplify that so that we're not thinking of the commercialism or the materialism or just all the other isms that are out there. But our desire is to really focus on what's important. So we talked about the Christmas virtues of love, joy, and peace, which are not just Christmas virtues, they're the fruit of the Spirit. And so what we want to do is we want to uh, really focus on love, joy, and peace. Last week we talked about the idea of rejoicing in the Lord always. Well, today we want to talk about the idea of peace. You know, love, joy, and peace is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our gift, and that's what we want to focus on as we get into Christmas. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is I would like to speak to you not as a pastor, but actually as a real estate agent. If I can, you're thinking, what are you talking about? Well, think of me as your Century 21 realtor this morning, your spiritual realtor. Because the reason is there's a piece of real estate that I would like every person here to buy into. Okay? If you're a Christian, I want you to buy into this piece of real estate. So with your permission, I'd like to take you on a guided tour. I would like to show you a special residence and personally offer this piece of real estate that I believe that you need in your life. It's called Peaceful Place. Can you say it with me together? Peaceful Place. Doesn't that sound great, right? Have you ever heard of Peaceful Place? I want to sell you as the real estate agent to say, number one, it's an absolutely beautiful neighborhood. It's located all the way up in the hills, the hills of faith, that is, you know. I know I sound corny, right? But up here, you get a wonderful view of life. It's a panoramic bird's eye view. And you know what they say is that all things work together for good up here, you know, and it's always according to a purpose. At peaceful place, Everything falls into place. Not only is it a beautiful neighborhood, it's also a very secure community. There's no locks. There are no alarms. When you look around, there's no man-made systems. Because the sovereign Lord guards every heart and mind at peaceful place. It's an extremely secure community. 
All right, and living in Southern California, we know how important that is. Not only is it a beautiful community and a secure uh, community, it's also a very healthy community. Uh, we in Southern California, we love everything healthy, right? And it's actually a very healthy location because you won't find anxiety up here. You won't find debilitating stress. There's no depression up in peaceful place. You won't even find insomnia here either. And that's one of the marks uh, many times of uh, anxiety. Psalm 127 verse 2 says that he grants sleep to those that he loves. Just imagine no tossing or turning. At night you sleep like a baby. And in the morning you wake up happy and refreshed. Does this sound great to you? This peaceful place? Am I doing a good job selling this, right? You're probably thinking, well, peaceful place sounds too good to be true because I'm broke, right? I live in Southern California. I can't afford prime real estate like this. Hey, can I share with you that this place is absolutely free? (gasps) Really? It's absolutely free. This can be yours. Wilson's so great, okay? He makes me feel so good. All this can be yours for the unbelievably low price of it's absolutely free. Because this was all paid for by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's true. As a matter of fact, his his finished work on the cross gives us all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So all you need to do as a Christian is to move in and appropriate the blessings of peaceful place. But there is a problem. There is a catch. And you know what that catch is? I need to convince you to move out of your old neighborhood. And many of you, you know where you live. I know where you live. It's a place that you're comfortable with. It's a place that you're attached to. You know what it's called? It's called Worry Way, right? Yeah, how many of you, you live in Worried Way, right? And I've been there many times before, right? Worry is the opposite of peace. It's a run-down, beat-up, dangerous slum of a place. And it's completely inappropriate for the child of God to be living in a place like this. And so my purpose as your real estate agent is to allow God's truth to reach you where you are right now and by God's grace move you into the right place that he has for you. And so now we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7. Here the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us a way out of the slums of worry. And this truth, if applied, will totally transform our lives. It will give us the peace that many of us so, so desperately need. Okay? Let's look at it. Verse 6. And can you put it up here, please? Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. I want to stop right there. The word anxious is found 19 times in the New Testament. And it simply means to worry. Okay? And it's a combination, actually, of two words smushed together. The first word is to divide, okay? And the next is the mind. So it's the idea of to divide the mind. And that is a perfect picture of worry. Because worry divides the mind. It distracts us and our minds with fears and stress and doubts so that we won't be able to move forward in faith. So that we won't be able to live the Christ-like life that God desires for us. It says, do not be anxious about anything. And I want you to notice the order in the original uh, in the original language. It goes like this. Do not be anxious about anything is very specific. It's this. Be not worried for even one single thing. Wow, are you serious? We're not supposed to be worried about even a single thing in our lives? The first thing we need to do is to identify worry as a sin in our lives. 
If we can do that, oh, it's not working. Okay, if we can do that, okay, I got it, I got it. Okay, the sin of worry, okay? The problem is that we don't see many times worry as a sin. And right now, some of you are thinking, well, worry's not really a bad thing, is it, right? I'm a tiger mom, and my calling is to worry for my kid's future, some of you might say, right? Or in order to be a good student, it's a necessity for me to worry about my grades. I mean, isn't it? Isn't that important? Or if I want to be successful in business, worrying about projects and sales and deadlines, that's all a part of the program. Or in order to make ends meet, I have to worry about the mortgage or about my finances or about my health or about the budget or about my tuition. In fact, if you're a logical, rational, discerning professional living in today's fast-paced 21st century world, then there's no way that you can live life without worry, is what you might think, right? And so what happens is worry becomes a badge of honor, right? We wear worry and we say, well, this means that I'm industrious, or this proves that I'm diligent. This proves that I'm on the ball, and we wear worry as a sign of uh, being on things Instead of what Jesus actually tells us. See, as Christians, many of us, we've developed two realities. Number one, we've developed a church reality where you hear the message and you hear the truth of God's word and you can say amen on Sunday, right? Because on Sunday, it's God's truth to me. But then we have another reality called a real world reality. And that happens Monday through Saturday. And we live out something completely different from what we heard on Sunday. Isn't that true? And instead of, you know, looking at God's word and taking it for what it's worth, we say to ourselves, well, that doesn't fit in the real world, right? And isn't that the definition of anxiety, right? It's to divide the mind. We've bifurcated Sunday, and we look at Saturday, or we look at Monday through Saturday, and we live completely separate lives. You see, we think that worry-free is simplistic. It's not the real world. I mean, we're living in the real world. But can I share with you that the Bible is never simplistic? The Bible is simple. It's easy to understand. But the Bible is never simplistic. And if we would just apply God's simple truth, it would transform our lives in a way that is so complex to our 21st century culture. You see, God's word gives nowhere, or gives us, uh, excuse me, God's word nowhere gives us the license to worry. And so what is worry? Well, if you're taking notes, write this down. Worry is the sin of doubting the providence and provision of God in your life. Worry is nothing more than doubting the providence and provision of God in your life. Uh, Luke chapter 12. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Uh, You can if you want. But in Luke chapter 12, verses 22, here's what Jesus says. It's very powerful. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, Or about the body, what you will drink. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? And who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if, that is he, how, and if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? You see what Jesus is doing? He's telling us as Christians that we need to trust in the providence 
and provision of God. You see, the greatest indicator that we're no different from the world or from the non-Christian is worry. Look in verse 30. And do not set your heart on what you eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagans, or for the pagan world, excuse me, runs after such things. It's the pagans that run after those things. And your father knows that you need them. Do you know why the unsaved world, do you know why the pagan world runs after those things? It's because they don't know God as father. They don't know God as provider. But as Christians, we have a father. And I want you to look what Jesus says in verse 32. Do not be afraid, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now think about that. How mind-blowing is that? If that's not God's absolute love for you, I don't know what is. Now think of the rationale. Jesus teaches this, and he uses many illustrations. And we don't have time to go through these illustrations, but let me remind you this way. I want you to look at the rationale of Jesus. Jesus teaches, consider the lilies. God beautifully clothes them. Consider the ravens, these unclean birds, yet God feeds them. Consider the sparrows, these, the smallest birds in the ancient Near East, yet God knows when they fall. Consider the very hairs of your head, insignificant, yet God numbers every one of them on your head. See, the argument is from lesser to greater. Jesus is saying if God cares for lesser things like lilies and ravens and sparrows and hares, won't he care uh, that much more for the very children that he has given his kingdom to, his legacy to. Can I get an amen? You see, as Christians, we need to trust in God's providence, his provision, but also his motivating passion for us. So, okay, what are the characteristics of worry? And this will help you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Worry starts when we presume that God won't help us in our time of need. Because at the very center of worry is this concern about the future, right? We don't know what's going to happen in the future. That's why it's the future. We only know what's in front of us. So we become fearful when things don't go our way or things don't go according to plan. And we become anxious because we think that things may not happen the way we want them to happen. And so the essence of worry then is pride, right? We want our will to be done or we want to come out on top somehow. And so pride is not allowing God to be sovereign in our lives. That's why we don't uh, trust the providence and provision of God. It's because we don't allow him to be sovereign. You see, worrying, let me put it this way. I think it'll be a great help. Worrying is taking God's burden without the ability to carry it, okay? When we worry, what we're saying is, God, I don't trust that you'll uh, take care of me in this. So I have to scheme and obsess and manipulate things to go my way. Or God, you are not handling things according to my expectation, according to my satisfaction, so I'd better take over from here, right? Jesus says this in Matthew 11. You don't have to turn there, just listen. In verse 28, he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Listen to this. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, I realize that life is full of pressure and difficulties and trials. We even talked about it last week. So don't misunderstand. I'm not advocating laziness. 
I'm not saying let's live a happy-go-lucky lifestyle, let the chips fall where they may, right, and be irresponsible. I understand that we need to diligently handle our responsibilities. So there is room for concern. There's room for thoughtful discernment. I'm not equivocating here. There's room for those things. But listen to me. What makes worry worry is when we fail to hand over the burdens to the Lord that we were never meant to carry. Because we were never meant to carry those overwhelming burdens that make us anxious. See, if your yoke is not easy and your burden is not light, then you're carrying something that you were never meant to carry. You need to give those things over to the Lord. You know why? Because worry is a disease that if you allow it will plague the totality of your person, mentally, physically, and spiritually. You see, the sin of worry has side effects. It affects mental health. You can take a healthy mind, and because of worry, it produces anxiety, which dovetails into a host of phobias. Worry produces instability, which can cause all kinds of neuroses, even where you lose touch with reality. Worry produces depression that we know, time and time again, can lead to suicide. You see, it hurts our mental health. But not only that, it also spills over into our physical health. You see, when we worry, it affects our bodies in ways that maybe we haven't considered before. You know, those of you that have insomnia, I I recognize that not all of it has to do with worry, but some of us, we have insomnia because it's a side effect of worry. You know, I read a biography of St. Patrick, one of my favorite uh, 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 heroes of the faith. And many of us, we know St. Patrick only from St. Patrick's Day, when people get drunk, right? But St. Patrick was so much more than that. He was an amazing man of God. He pretty much single-handedly brought the gospel to Ireland. I was reading uh, a passage that was talking about uh, Patrick and how a great warlord was converted to Christianity because of the way Patrick snored, okay? Let me give you this. It's so cool, okay? So this warlord had captured Patrick while he was sharing the gospel, and he told him, in a few days, I am going to kill you, but I'm going to kill you slowly, And he described the method of his torture and how he was going to die. And then he put him in one of his prisons, and he had a secret passage where he would look to see St. Patrick. And the whole time, those many days, you know what St. Patrick was doing? He was snoring. He was sleeping soundly. And this man was amazed by Patrick. How is this man able to sleep apnea, right? How is this man able to sleep? So peacefully, when I just told him, I'm going to splatter his guts all over the place. I'm going to do things to him that would make everyone shudder and shiver. And yet this guy was sleeping peacefully. And he started to meditate on the fact he couldn't sleep that way. He was always tossing and turning, you know, trying to figure out who the next person was that was going to usurp him or what the next plan was going to be to poison him or to kill him. And so he realized what St. Patrick has is something that must be divine. If he's able to sleep like that, it must have come from God. And I don't have that, and I want to know what he has. And so this man gloriously came to Jesus Christ because of St. Patrick's snoring. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Listen, Psalm 3 says it this way. Here David is speaking. And David says, Oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. 
But you, God, are a shield around me. To you I cry aloud and you answer me. Verse 5, I lie down and sleep because the Lord sustains me. You know what David is saying? He's saying it doesn't matter what's going on on the outward. It doesn't matter all the problems that are happening. I can sleep like a baby because I know that you, O oh God, are my shield. Maybe the reason why some of you are tossing and turning this morning is because you're carrying something that you were never meant to carry. And it affects us physically. Charles Mayo of the Mayo Clinic said this, Worry affects circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. I've never known a man, or I have never met a man or known a man to have died of overwork, but I've known plenty of men who've died of worry. Do you know worry can actually kill us? It could actually cause cancer. It can cause so many things in our lives. Not only does it spill over into the physical, it also spills over into the spiritual. It affects spiritual health. Do you know the sin of worry leads to other sins? It's a gateway sin, right? It leads to grumbling and to bitterness and to malice and to quarreling and to discord and dissension. See, this is the reason why worry way is the wrong way. It's because it destroys and debilitates the entire person. If you're living in worry way, have I convinced you? You need to move out, okay? Let me give you the second point, the solution to worry. The solution to worry. No, wrong one, sorry. No, what's going on? Help me, help me. Okay, the solution to worry. (sighs) All right, verse six. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. Let me stop right there. So Paul doesn't just say, if you're worried about something, just stop it, okay? Knock it off, cut it out, it's a sin, let's pray and go home, okay? That's not what he says. Talk about simplistic, that would be unrealistic, wouldn't it? That would be impractical, because we just go back to worrying. It's our default mechanism, right? We'd be very unproductive. I read an article, actually, a UCLA study about worry. It was really cool. Let me share it with you, okay? In essence, it said, 42% of worries are things that will never happen. Did you know that? 42% of worries are things that will never happen. You know, 40% of worries are things that are out of our control. It can't be changed, okay? 10% of worries are about our health, which will only get worse if we worry, okay? So think about this, okay? 42% of worries are things that will never happen. 40% of worries are things that are out of our control. 10% of worries are about our health, which will only get worse if we worry. So that remains, okay, in this article, 8% of worries are actually legitimate things, okay? Now think about that, okay? Out of 100%, only 8% are things that you actually could happen, okay? So the article concluded, don't worry. It's not logical to worry. Stop worrying, right? And you would think that would be helpful, but as I read the article, you know what I kept thinking? And I know you do it too, but it's that 8% I'm worried about, right? Isn't that true? I'm not worried about anything. It's that 8% because that could still happen in my life. Listen, that's a default for us. We are always going to worry. doesn't matter if somebody tells us stop it. It's a part of who we are. So it's not enough to stop worrying. We need to replace it. And that's what the Bible's telling us. We need to stop the negative and replace it with a positive. We need to stop the ungodly uh, practice and replace it with a godly practice. We need to stop the sin and replace it with a discipline. So what is that positive godly discipline? And here it is. 
Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. You see, this is the solution to peace in our lives. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Let's look in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You see, moving out of worry way and moving into peaceful place is all about coming into a close communion, close communication with God. We call it prayer. And I want you to notice these three ingredients. First of all, it's worship. Write that down. The word prayer here means literally to bend the knee. It's the idea of worship. It's where we adore and where we praise God. You see, we define prayer generally as communicating with God, but at its core, it's worship. It's bending the knee. See, worship is focusing on who God is. It's putting the focus in the right place. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast on you. When our minds are steadfastly worshiping, right, we're in perfect peace. When we worship In our prayer, we're acknowledging the king. We're saying, I'm about to speak to the all-knowing, all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe. I recognize his authority over me. I submit to his sovereignty in my life. And that perspective brings peace. The late Billy Graham said it this way, I've learned that worship and worry cannot exist in the same place at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. When we're worshiping, Worry dissipates. Peace comes in like a flood. The second aspect is petition. It means persistent pleading or begging. Okay, That's an element to prayer. We can boldly enter the throne room of God anytime, just as we are, in whatever emotional state we find ourselves in. And we can pour out whatever we're facing to the God of the universe because he's not just the God of the universe. He's your Abba. He's your Father. And because he's your dad, you can go to him again and again and again. Jesus says it this way in Luke eleven nine: 9. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. You see, here Jesus says he's your father. And when a child, uh, uh, when a child asks for a, for a fish, is he going to get a snake? If he asks for an egg, will he get a poisonous scorpion? No, he won't do that. God won't do that. So we, and here's the idea, continually ask and seek and knock and do all those things. And that's our privilege. Amen? Let me share with you. I always talk about my daughter, okay? And I'm going to do that one more time. She is not, I want to go back to when she was 10 years old. Because this happened when she was 10. I never forgot this. I actually wrote this in my diary, okay? When Alexis was 10, she wasn't a teenager. And so, oh, I had so much fun. with. I'm having fun now with her, too. But back then, when she was 10, I had so much fun. So I remember I was uh, kind of putting the finishing touches on a sermon on Saturday. And so I was home alone with Alexis. And my daughter kept bursting into my office, kept bursting into my room. She did that so much that I actually recorded what she did as a 10-year-old. And so I'm going to read it to you. Okay, Daddy, I'm hungry. Can you make me ramen for breakfast? Can you put an egg in it? Daddy, I got a joke for you. I made it up, so you have to laugh, okay? (laughs) Daddy, explain the Trinity to me. I don't get it. What's the Trinity all about? Daddy, I sprained my ankle. Rub my ankle. Put some Bengay on it. Daddy, can we play musical quilts? Can we play dance party? Daddy, will you buy me an American girl with accessories for Christmas? Here's the website. Will you look at it? everything with me? 
Daddy, I'm mad at mommy. She's mean. She's firm. I don't like her. Daddy, will you read me a book before I go to bed? I really need to, uh, you to read me a book or I can't go to sleep. She came to me raw and real in whatever state, and she poured out whatever she was facing persistently. And you know what? I never got tired of it. I did everything she asked me on that Saturday, even though I was busy, even though I had things to do. You know why? Because it was my joy to do that. When she petitions me, we get closer, don't we? And it's the same idea of father, son, father, daughter, that here God wants to give us. God wants to provide for us. But the idea is that we have to come to him in whatever state that we're in, and we have to petition him. And God will gladly do it for us. The third point is thanksgiving. This idea that as we worship, as we petition, we have a heart of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude. And I think this is the perfect thing. You know, thanksgiving was not too long ago, but we should have thanksgiving every day of our lives where we continually think on the past things that God's done for us because that's going to build us up. Lord, you've done so many things. And think about those things every day. Then talk about the present provisions, how God is working. Maybe it's behind the scenes in an invisible way, and you have to think about it. Rather than thinking about the problems and the anxieties, think about the things that he's doing right now. And bless him for it. Thank him for it. And then dream about future things based on the past, based on the present. Continue. And I'll tell you, if you have a habit of doing that, worry cannot continue in your life. Anxiety cannot exist in a thankful person's life, when we see what God is actually doing. You see, worship, petition, and thanksgiving. Here's the promise, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that the promise is not that all your problems will disappear. It's not that all the pressures you face are going to vanish. But in your trials, in your tribulations, divine peace, which you won't even be able to explain, is going to fill you. Divine peace, the Bible says, will guard you. And here Paul uses military language. He assures that God's peace will act like a Roman garrison around your heart and mind to strengthen you when you need it. Can I get an amen? Listen, this is what it means to live in peaceful place. Now, we looked at the sin of worry. We looked at the solution to worry. And then I want to end with this. The success from worry. Can you do that for me? I'm so bad with uh, techie stuff. Can you just put it right here? The success from worry. Can you put that up? When you move into peaceful place, okay, you're going to have a next door neighbor. Actually, he's a success story from the Old Testament, and his name is Daniel. Okay, and many of you, you've heard about Daniel. He is the epitome of living in peaceful place. He's your next door neighbor. So when you read the story of Daniel chapter 6, this is what's really cool. Okay, you're going to see Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 in his situation. Okay? It's so cool. Daniel uses Philippians 4, 6 and 7. You might say, well, that's ridiculous. Okay? Here, thousands of years gap. We're talking Old Testament Daniel and then New Testament Paul giving this. Well, listen, it doesn't make sense if it wasn't the same author, right? But God is the author of all of this. And so this truth is something that you're going to find in the Old Testament as well. And we're going to see it, okay? This is really cool. So really quick, I'm going to explain this to you, and then we'll read. If you want to turn to Daniel chapter 6, you can do that. Okay, the background here is that the Persian officials are jealous of Daniel. So they maliciously trick the king, King Darius, into signing a Persian decree that is no one is to worship any god but the king 
for X amount of time, okay? Now, here's Daniel's response. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel hears the decree, and in verse 10, this is what he does. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home. Three times a day, he got down on his knees. I want you to notice the idea of worship here. He got down on his knees, praying and giving thanks. I want you to notice the idea of thanksgiving, right? Praying and giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Verse 11, then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning. Okay, so the idea of petition, worship, thanksgiving, and petition. He found Daniel petitioning God for help. Notice exactly Philippians 4, 6, and 7, okay? Now, this gets interesting. Finally, they're able to trap him, and because of the decree, they throw him into a den of lions. Okay, this is getting really bad, okay? Now, notice the response of King Darius. He's been tricked. Daniel's his favorite advisor, okay? And he doesn't know what to do. They have to throw him in because the law of the Medes and the Persians is you can't change uh, what's already been decreed. Verse 18, listen. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any, any entertainment being brought to him. Hey, I want you to notice the response of the king. He's worried. He's anxious. He has insomnia. He can't sleep. That's the response of Darius. Now, I want you to notice the response of Daniel. Look in verse 22. Darius goes to the place in the morning to see if anything, maybe a miracle has happened, right? And they open the uh, lion's den, and he cries out, uh, hey, are you okay, Daniel? In verse 22, Daniel answered, I love this, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. And when Daniel was lifted up from the den, no wound was found on him because he trusted in his God. Isn't that awesome? We see worship. We see thanksgiving. We see petition. Here he trusts in his God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, was found even in the lion's den. Can I get an amen? Isn't that awesome? Do you know what that made Daniel? That made Daniel the original Lion King, right? Right? And do you know what his favorite song was? Hakuna Matata. Oh, that's bad, all right? No worries. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's a worry-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Thank you, Pastor Wilson. Amen. With that, let's bow our heads and close our eyes in a word of prayer, okay? Father, we thank you that you've given us your truth, the truth that transcends all earthly truth. And your word tells us that if we would learn to pray about everything, then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. And God, we pray that we would practice that in our lives, even today. We thank you for what you're doing. We pray that you would give us that joy and give us that peace as we obediently follow your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Thank you so much, Dave. Really appreciate your sermon today. Uh, we're going to take a time of communion. And I was thinking we could just have the verses up for like uh, three, four minutes. And um, there's so many things that Dave um, shared with us today. But I would like to practice it in our time of communion. Uh, one of the ways that my first pastor taught us to take communion as a community was to take the bread and dip it in uh, the grape juice and then to be on our knees before the Lord. 
And I, I want to encourage us to do that this morning, if you're willing to, to find a space in, um, in this room as you take the, the, the bread and communion and just be on your knees and walk through this passage in your worry, in, in the things that are, have been heavy and difficult, that we would, once you get on your knees, what your, what your body is saying and what your soul will follow is like, I am not enough and I want the Lord to carry this. You know, I want him to be greater than me. We're never on our knees in front of someone less than us. Someone has to be so much greater than us for us to be on our knees. But God is. And as we take on that posture and as we take communion and remember how Jesus bore the worst of it, right? Our sins, our brokenness, that he could bear this as well. And so I hope that as you're on your knees, you would come to him with thanksgiving, in petition, And that you would ask the Lord to flood your heart with peace. And there's times, many times in my life where I'm so worried and I feel so pulled down. And I will say, God, I'm just going to sit here until I find your peace. I'm going to push until I break through into peace. And we, I want you to, whatever, if there's something really heavy, that you would stay on your knees, that you would take communion, and that you would push in giving thanks, in putting your request before God until you get into a place of peace. So I just want to encourage us to do that this morning. Father, we are so grateful for the blood that you shed and the body that was broken for us. And today as we take communion, we do it in a way where we remember that you carried the worst of it and we give you everything else as well. Thank you so much for Pastor Dave and his sermon this morning. I pray that those of us who are living in a worry way would find our place um, in, in the peaceful village commune thing. Amen.